0: Welcome, everyone, to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all God's children and all God's creation. If that be the case let us give thanks and praises for the expansion of the light within us and the elevation of our consciousness and continue radiating those higher qualities of our mighty i am presence regardless of the darkness that seems to surround us in this country and the world for when we emit the energy of those higher qualities into the atmosphere we are the illumination The representation of the living God that dwells within us. And that energy matters. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life. And y'all be loved.
1: The foregoing presentation of an idea of God within reach of the reasonable conception of the human mind, should bring to us a joy in the realization that God is not a myth, an incomprehensible something, or the mere life principle, or even the spirit of mind, as many are now coming to believe, which is a vagary that, at best, can bring but little comfort, and certainly cannot produce the faith requisite to command zeal of action. The childish feeling of wonder at the incomprehensibility of God has been such in the past as to cause an actual fear of spirit and spirit manifestation. This wonder and fear have not been confined to the ignorant. According to late newspaper reports, a prominent minister of England, upon witnessing a phenomenon attendant upon a woman engaged in a religious revival, was actually frightened at the manifestation of light, because it was supposed to be a manifestation of spirit. We believe that fear causes much of the materialism and skepticism as to God and Spirit and the power of His angels to appear to men and guide their lives as in Bible times. Much skepticism also arises from the vagueness of the popular conception of God and His angels. The Lord Christ, who spoke with the authority of Yahweh Elohim, pointed forward to the present time when He said, The hour cometh, when I shall no more speak to you in Proverbs, but shall tell you plainly of the Father, And if the Spirit through the instrumentality of this volume has told you plainly of the Father, you should not allow the realistic conception of God to lower the greatness and sublimity of the ideal conception. The natural inclination of man is to lose interest in a thing and to lower his estimate of it as soon as he begins to comprehend it, but we assure you that were it possible for you to have a glimpse of the realities of the existence of that wondrous brotherhood, Yahweh Elohim, the creators of the world, you would find their real nature and character so far transcending your former conception of God that your mind would sink beneath its effort to comprehend the wonders of that deific mind. Yet God in his love, wisdom, and goodness has so constructed us in his image and has led us so far into his likeness that we can now begin to apprehend something of the realities of his own great nature. If what has been said enables you, the true child of God, to look up with a realistic conception and exclaim in the language of the master, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth, then you will begin to comprehend the reason for the opening words of this prayer. For the soul recognizes the Father not as a myth, not as something far beyond the possibility of our perception, but as a real, tangible existence, as an intelligent being that is able to sympathize, through knowledge gained by experience, with all the weaknesses, all of the vicissitudes of the human family, and yet loves us with a love transcending the love of the mother for the child in her arms, or the love of a husband for his bride. This is a realization that will bring us nearer to God and bring God nearer to us, and in the order of the heavens, established by the great wisdom and goodness of God, we are brought in direct touch with His mind, His will, His loving sympathy, and His all-pervading mentality. As to how we are brought in touch with God's great nature, we have not been left to speculate, for every great truth has been recorded in some form in that wondrous book, the Bible. The apostle in his letter to the Hebrews said, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable hosts of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. Here the apostle either by vision or by revelation, is given to understand the order of the heavens and announces it by speaking of, just men made perfect, and of the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. It has been given us to know, and reason substantiates the fact, that according to the grade of development is the nearness of the soul to the throne of the everlasting Father, so that there are in the spirit world at the present time, not only the wondrous body of Yahweh Elohim, but there are angel spirits ranking in gradatory order from the highest sphere down to the borderland, between the mundane and the spiritual. Therefore when Yahweh Elohim has a message to send to the sons of earth, it is sent through the angel messengers, through the spirits of just men made perfect, and we have reason to believe that it is sent from one to another, until a messenger is reached whose potentiality enables him to meet the capacity of man who is to receive the message, for there are angels so highly developed that their words would be to man, consuming fire. Therefore the word of Yahweh Elohim must be passed down through the mind organs of those who are nearer to man, in order that he may be enabled to receive it without injury. The Lord Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so I would have told you. John the 14th, 2. In Jacob's vision, he dreamed, and behold a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And, behold, Yahweh stood above it. Genesis, 28, 12, 13 Thus this gradation is, as it were, a ladder set up on the earth, man, whose top reaches to heaven, Yahweh being at the head of the ladder, and each rung of the ladder from Yahweh down to man a stage of unfoldment, of spirit life, and all the angels upon these very planes are, as the Apostle Paul said, ministering spirits, sent forth to do service for the sake of them that shall inherit salvation. These ministering spirits minister to man according to his unfoldment. The ministering spirits, ministering to those among men who are sufficiently developed to receive heavenly truths and to put them into practice, have overcome and entered the realm of immortality. In other words, they are souls that are not bound to the earth's sphere, but live from the heavens. There are, however, multitudes of souls that are earthbound, that know nothing of the realities of a spirit existence. These are they that spiritualists, so-called, are dealing with. And among these earthbound souls there are as many malignant, evil-designed personalities, as there are in the physical body among men, yea, more. Thus we find ourselves on the earth plane surrounded by dark and malignant spirits, yet these dark forces have no power at all except what is derived from the spirit of the mundane or the earthly spirit. And so far as the children of God ally themselves to the spirit of God in covenant relation, and place their hand, as it were, in the hand of God's angel, overcoming fear and following the leadings of that divine messenger holy to that degree, they are safe. As the fullness of times has come and the souls of men have ripened and matured, the period when men are to come into the image and the likeness of God is at hand, and in order to bring about this image and likeness, an advance in knowledge is necessary. To be told plainly of the Father and of His Son, of the object of His coming and the methods by which we may come into unity, oneness, harmony, with Him, is an absolute prerequisite. It is also just as necessary to expunge the errors from our thought and to realize that we have a loving, merciful and kind father, who is our father by virtue of creation, by virtue of regeneration, and by virtue of having been begotten from above, so that it is possible for us to enter that bosom of love and to become partakers of that mind, wisdom, knowledge and power. Being partakers of him, of his great nature, our souls are fed with immortal food, and by that food they grow, unfold and the consciousness of God the Father, daily becomes more vivid, the realization more perfect, which enables the soul to look up as a little child into the face of its loving mother or father, and to say, Our Father. If this work enables you to do this with a more vivid realization, it will have accomplished much. To leave the thought here, however, may leave an open door for some dear souls to be misled for a time, for, from the picture that we have presented, As the mind takes hold of the great truth that God's angels are not a separate creation, but, as the Apostle Paul declared, are souls of just men made perfect, some may imagine in some vague way that these souls occupy certain spaces, one above another, as if in suspension in the heavens, from the abode of the Elohim to the earth, but the facts are these. Spirit consciousness is consciousness of him who is the fullness that filleth all things, for Yahweh is spirit and interpervades all space. To the soul that is awakened to a spiritual consciousness, there is no sense of distance, that is to say, time and space are virtually obliterated and the soul is conscious only of the presence of the center of that quality that it has come in touch with, so that if we should attempt to locate spirit heavens, it would be only relative to the sphere of consciousness of the soul, and would have no relation to distance or locality. Yahweh, the God of the universe, embodies all qualities that exist and the beginning of spirit consciousness is an awakening to certain qualities. The higher the soul, the more comprehensive its ability to grasp the multifarious qualities existing in divinity, and the lower the soul in degree of unfoldment, the more restricted is its comprehension of various qualities. Svettenborg had a vague and imperfect idea regarding the spiritual heavens. He claimed that he visited many heavens of souls in their different degrees of unfoldment. Be that as it may, one thing is certain, there are centers, so to speak, where souls of like development are gathered together, all the way from the child's spirit that is highly unfolded but still a child, up to the pure love sphere of innocence and purity, and so on up into the realm of mind, and each of these centers, or heavens, is approachable by certain means, which the person will apply during the progress of his development. The Goal of Life, by Hiram Butler, 1908.
0: Isis Unveiled, Volume 2, Chapter 2.
1: The occult knowledge gleaned by the Roman Church from the once fat fields of theurgy, she sedulously guarded for her own use, and sent to the stake only those practitioners who poached on her lands of the Scientia Scientiarum and those whose sins could not be concealed by the friar's frock. The proof of it lies in the records of history. In the course only of 15 years, between 1580 to 1595, and only in the single province of Lorraine, the President Remigius burned 900 witches, says Thomas Wright, in his Sorcery and Magic. It was during these days, prolific in ecclesiastical murder and unrivaled for cruelty and ferocity, that Jean Bowden wrote. While the orthodox clergy called forth whole legions of demons through magical incantations, unmolested by the authorities, provided they held fast to the established dogmas and taught no heresy, on the other hand, acts of unparalleled atrocity were perpetrated on poor, unfortunate fools. Gabriel Malagrida, an old man of 80, was burnt by these evangelical jack catches in 1761. In the Amsterdam library there is a copy of the report of his famous trial, translated from the Lisbon edition. He was accused of sorcery and illicit intercourse with the devil, who had disclosed to him futurity. The prophesy imparted by the archenemy to the poor visionary Jesuit is reported in the following in the following terms. The culprit hath confessed that the demon, under the form of the blessed virgin, having commanded him to write the life of Antichrist, told him that he, Malachrida, was a second John, but more clear than John the Evangelist, that there were to be three Antichrists and that the last should be born at Milan of a monk and a nun, in the year 1920, that he would marry Proserpine, one of the infernal Furies, etc. The prophecy is to be verified 43 years hence. Even were all the children born of monks and nuns really to become antichrists if allowed to grow up to maturity, the fact would seem far less deplorable than the discoveries made in so many convents, when the foundations have been removed for some reason. If the assertion of Luther is to be disbelieved on account of his hatred for popery, then we may name discoveries of the same character made quite recently in Austrian and Russian Poland. Luther speaks of a fish pond at Rome, situated near a convent of nuns, having been cleared out by order of Pope Gregory, disclosed, at the bottom, over 6,000 infant skulls, and of a nunnery at Nienberg in Austria, whose foundations, when searched, disclosed the same relics of celibacy and chastity. H. P. Blavatsky Ecclesia non sanguinum, meekly repeated the scarlet-robed cardinals. And to avoid the spilling of blood which horrified them, they instituted the Holy Inquisition. If, as the occultists maintain, and science half confirms, our most trifling acts and thoughts are indelibly impressed upon the eternal mirror of the astral ether, there must be somewhere, in the boundless realm of the unseen universe, the imprint of a curious picture. It is that of a gorgeous standard waving in the heavenly breeze at the foot of the great white throne of the Almighty. On its crimson damask face a cross symbol of the Son of God who died for mankind, with an olive branch on one side, and a sword, stained to the hilt with human gore on the other. A legend selected from the Psalms emblazoned in golden letters, reading thus, Exurge, Domini, et Judica Chazam Maham for such appears the standard of the Inquisition on a photograph in our possession, from an original procured at the Escurial of Madrid. Under this Christian standard, in the brief space of 14 years, Thomas de Torquemada, the confessor of Queen Isabella, burned over 10,000 persons, and sentenced to the torture 80,000 more. Orebio, the well-known writer, who was detained so long in prison, and who hardly escaped the flames of the Inquisition, immortalized this institution in his works when once at liberty in Holland. He found no better argument against the Holy Church than to embrace the Judaic faith and submit even to circumcision. In the Cathedral of Saragossa, says a writer on the Inquisition, is the tomb of a famous inquisitor. Six pillars surround the tomb, to each is chained a moor, as preparatory to being burned. On this Saint-Fouin ingenuously observes, if ever the jack-catch of any country should be rich enough to have a splendid tomb, this might serve as an excellent model. To make it complete, however, the builders of the tomb ought not to have omitted a bar leaf of the famous horse which was burned for sorcery and witchcraft. Granger tells the story, describing it as having occurred in his time. The poor animal had been taught to tell the spots upon cards, and the hour of the day by the watch. Horse and owner were both indicted by the sacred office for dealing with the devil, and both were burned, with a great ceremony of auto de fe, at Lisbon, in 1601, as wizards. This immortal institution of Christianity did not remain without its dante to sing its praise. Macedo, a Portuguese Jesuit, says the author of Demonologia, has discovered the origin of the Inquisition, in the terrestrial paradise, and presumes to allege that God was the first who began the functions of an inquisitor over Cain and the workmen of Babel. Nowhere, during the Middle Ages, were the arts of magic and sorcery more practiced by the clergy than in Spain and Portugal, The Moors were profoundly versed in the occult sciences, and at Toledo, Seville, and Salamanca were, once upon a time, the great schools of magic. The Kabbalists of the latter town were skilled in all the abstruse sciences, they knew the virtues of precious stones and other minerals, and had extracted from alchemy, its most profound secrets. H. P. Blavatsky
0: Discourses, volume
1: 15. I'm trying to get this into your consciousness today, so that you feel you live within a sun presence of the master power of the violet flame love, which the hearts of the violet flame angels concentrate in and around you, and that controls conditions many times of which you're totally unaware. If you were to call this forth also, and I feel sure you all will, to fill yourselves with the master power of the violet-consuming flame's love from the healing angels who use it for healing, fill yourselves with it and command it to do its perfect work, by not only your own mighty I Am Presence, but their love. They exist just to give their love through using the violet-consuming flame. It is their love that controls the manifestations of the physical world. It is their love that enfolds the plant life and repels discordant conditions that otherwise would destroy it. Their love can just as well enfold you. Now this is not to teach you to lean on anybody or anything but your presence. But your beloved I am presence, after you've called to it and the mighty Saint Germain, they have ways and means of fulfilling your calls. And the violet flame angels are those blessed beings who produce the manifestation that does fulfill your call, that fulfills the command of the mighty Saint Germain or the command of your presence, or the command of any ascended being. So, learn to call forth the master power of the Cosmic Violet Flame angels love in and around you, and see for yourselves whether they're real or not. See whether they can make you feel their presence. See whether they can control conditions. And if you ask to see that, if you ask to see the fulfillment of your calls, one day and sometimes when you least expect it, the atmosphere of Earth will part, and you will see them face to face doing the very thing that fulfills your call. I want you to have that. Applause. Thank you beloved Archangel Michael. Now just one more thing. Do you know, under the action of the Cosmic Law, that when an unascended being calls to an angel of the violet-consuming flame to purify a condition or control it so destructive forces cannot act, do you know, the Cosmic Law is such that they have to fulfill your call. They cannot refuse. Therefore. You have an absolute certainty of their assistance to you, and one day you can have the joyous experience of seeing them stand beside you and control manifestations that otherwise might destroy you. So beloved ones, I want you to become acquainted with the cosmic violet flame angels, master power of the love that rules, molds, sustains, and eternally controls the manifested universe. These are a mighty powerhouse for the violet consuming flames, limitless gifts and love to life, and limitless power of victory. You can't possibly fail if you become aware of their presence. And just for your own satisfaction, if you will take something that you use every day and ask your beloved I am presence and the mighty Saint Germain, or even myself, to charge that with the eternal memory to call the violet flame angels love and the power, the master power of the violet consuming flame, in and around you sometime each day. If you care to take something and use it as a reminder to give this acknowledgement, something that you have to use every day, then you get so that when you see that you will remember to give acknowledgement to that flame until it comes to the time when you can see it around yourselves this is just a thought to help you remember because the outer world's constant pull upon you continually makes you forget and if you do happen to have a habit of forgetting laughter let us do this charge your feeling in your mind the brain structure with the master power of the sacred fire's immortal purity that always lets your higher mental body make you remember that which will help you and bless you You know, it's just as important to charge yourselves with the Ascended Master's consciousness of eternal divine memory, and the consciousness that makes you forget what you should forget, and remember what you should remember. Beloved Archangel Michael,